is way in the middle today. Is that okay if I scoot it over? Um, guys, a couple weeks ago, or I guess it's like four weeks ago, that's snow. Did anyone else get totally disoriented and you're like, what year is it? What my name is? What colour is grass? I don't know these things. And so now I don't even know that what date it is. But anyway, before Snowmageddon, we talked about the Barah word of God and speaking life words to each other, and not just nice words, but actually the word of God, the prophetic word of God. And last week, I said, how's it going? And some people were like, yeah, I forgot about that. Um, and then I said, I'm warning you, next week I'm going to ask you about it. Do you remember that? Okay, so how did it go this week? I want to actually make you give your testimony. You're nodding. Can I tell it? Okay. My friend Emily messaged me this week to say that she really took it seriously, and she said, okay, God, who do you want me to pray for? And God gave her a specific face of someone. She couldn't even remember her name. And so she just prayed and prayed and prayed, and then she saw the person and said, I have been praying for you. Am I butchering it, or are we doing okay? Okay. She saw this person for three weeks. For three weeks she prayed, and she gave this word. I feel like the Lord is saying... Hang on, hang on. The people online can't hear the magnificence of what's happening right now. Basically, she just needed to cast her burdens on him, and I didn't know what the burdens were. I didn't even know if I was on point. That's not, that's not the way I normally operate at all. I don't usually step out like that, but really felt like the Lord was saying something is really weighing her down. And um, so I you know, just said, you need to cast your burdens at his feet and, um, and read her the scripture verse. I think it's Matthew, uh, take my yoke upon me, upon you. My burden is light and easy and yeah, butchering that. But anyway, um, and she said, oh my gosh. And she burst into tears and she said, my son is having brain surgery on Monday at children's hospital. And she said, we don't know what kind of brain tumor it is. It's come out of nowhere. It is massive on the back of his head. And she said, you know, we're afraid. We're afraid of what they're going to find. We don't know what the prognosis is. And she said, I needed to know that somebody was praying for me. And so tomorrow at Children's, they have pre-op, and they're going to do an angiogram and find out how blood vessels are working and whatnot, and then they go into surgery Monday evening. So, okay, let's pray for him right now. Yeah. Is that okay? Would you sure. guys, can we pray? Em, do you want to pray? Sure. We'll agree. Sure. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for um, Justine and for you using her um, up on that stage, and thank you for her encouraging us to... Um, to just really press in and find out how you want us to speak life into people's uh, lives and into um, their everyday. And Lord, I thank you for using me in this situation. Um, we pray for Jennifer and for her son, and, and we pray for their entire family as they go into tomorrow. We pray that you'd lift them up and encourage them. Just wrap them in peace as they go through their day. And Lord, I pray that you would guide the doctor's hands 
um, and that you would give them insight, great insight into what is causing the tumor, where it's coming from, um, whether it's threatening other structures. Um, apparently half his skull is missing, and so they're going to have to put a skull cap in, and we just pray that you would help that to go smoothly and that this little boy would still be the happy, functioning, sweet little four-year-old that he is. And we just thank you for him, Lord, and we thank you for providing doctors in this area that know what they're doing. And we pray that you would just help tomorrow to just be incredibly successful. In Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, does that not remind us how important this is? That lady needed to know that God saw her and cared for her and was interested at all. And because Emily took the time to ask him, a random person, someone she didn't even remember the name of, isn't God amazing? So I want to encourage you, if you have not added this into your life yet, to do it. It's like... um, Well, this is what we're talking about today. The presence of God on earth and how it depends on us. When I was about, uh, in my early 20s, I was at a church, um, uh, probably about the size of this church and... um, you know, I was serving there, and I was volunteering in the office, and I got to hear cool things happen. And one day, the pastor, whose name is Paul, um, got a call from a, a cult. So this uh, worldwide cult um, had its um, Australia and Oceania headquarters in my hometown. And uh, this, the, head, the head guy of the headquarters called my pastor and said, so, we're a cult, and we're wrong, and we want to become a Christian church now. So, um, could we meet, and could you tell me what to do? Okay. Um, <laughs> so, you know, where does one start in a conversation like that? I mean, huge, right? So picture this. Somebody walks up to you and says, we want to become a Christian church. Where do we start? What do we do? What would you say? Anything. Where would you start? John 3.16. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So we want to tell them about Jesus. It's a good start, for sure. What else? What would you tell? Like, how would you, you know, they used to meet doing one thing. Now they want to change and immediately meet and do something else. So what, where do we, what? What else? What you got? Oh, so good that the Holy Spirit would open their eyes and understanding to even just be able to comprehend God. I mean, that's what we all need, right? Totally. Give them a Bible and read it with them. Come on. That's so powerful. Repentance. Repentance. You were this way, now you want to walk this way. Repentance means 
turning from and going in a new direction. What else? Baptism? Baptism? Water? Spirit? Water. All of the above? All of the baptisms we can get our hands on. Thank you, Jesus. Kathy? So they're already a group. Now let's talk about what God's family looks like. So uh, Israel was enslaved in Egypt, and um, God brought them out, right? Moses encountered the presence of God, Yahweh. We studied that week one of January, and um, that's before Snowmageddon, just to like put it in perspective of <laughs> which era pre-snow and post-snow, um, and, and he encountered God and, and followed what he said, and he brought God's people out of slavery and marched them into the wilderness and started revealing himself to them. This is a lot like what this church would have had to do, right? This group to become God's people. So we're taken out of what we were, and we're brought in to a new culture, and God teaches us, you used to live this way, now you're going to live this way, right? And then you come through the desert, and there's all kinds of trials and testing, and it's not because God is a bully and wants to test you to see if you meet his grade, but it's to strip away the things that hold you bondage and bring you into new life, right? It's setting us free. I really want to talk about zombies right now. So the problem with zombies, apart from the fact that they're not real and that no one can agree on what a zombie really is entirely, just I understand there are like zombie sects of what like different groups believe different truth, truth zombie people, yeah, okay. Um, and also I understand that several of you right now are going, why is she talking about zombies in the house of God? This is not acceptable, bear with me. So the problem with zombies is they don't know they're not alive. Right? They think that they are alive and existent. And they believe they're pursuing the most delicious meal, but it's brains. And they don't know that they're not alive, and they don't know that they're pursuing brains because all they know is being... I'm going to upset some zombie people. I'm going to, you know, half dead, mostly dead, somewhat dead, dead, but living. I mean, there's many categories, right? <laughs> but zombies don't know that they're not alive. Who knows that zombies are not alive? Human people. Chris Maddox put her hand up. I know. <laughs> so humans... Look at zombies, except this is pretend, it's not a real thing. Just, I'm just quelching the thing that, that like Sam believes in zombies and the apocalypse. It's not coming. It's not a thing. However, we look at zombies and we know that is not life. That's not life. And you are not craving real food. And so we come alive to God and we leave behind our zombie ways and we crave real food, and we have a real life, and our heart beats for the first time with real love 
and we become alive. So now, people who are like, I don't know if zombies and Jesus can be mentioned in the same sentence. How's that? This may come up for you in the future if you're reaching people that don't know Jesus yet. Feel free to use the zombie metaphor at will because it works, right? It's a good one. This is Israel coming out of enslaved, like slavery and learning how it is to be alive. And God is testing them, again, not to make them fall short, but to show them, you were zombies, you're not anymore. You're my people now, and this is how you'll live. True? And that's our sanctification journey. And then he led them through the wilderness. You guys, he led them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And I feel like they should have done a better job following him because they had a pillar of fire leading them. I don't have that. (laughs) Have you ever been like, Lord, I don't know which decision to make? And you're like, oh, there's the pillar of fire. Good. Thank you for making it clear for me. I would love that. Man. Anyway, so, and then they get led to the promised land and they, they follow the, I mean, Off and on, they follow the Lord, despite the pillar of fire. And then they come into the promised land, and they follow him, and they build a temple. And God's presence came and dwelled in the temple. So Israelites could literally go, man, I just really wish I could, like, feel the presence of God. Do-do-do, do-do-do, walking to the building that literally holds the presence of God. I wish we had that. I mean, what a profound existence. Despite that, they started doing things on their own that that really wasn't following God, and they got really cocky about it. Like, well, we can't get destroyed because God's presence is in our temple. Not that I've been there lately, but no one knows. Um, And then God said, I'm out of here. And his presence left the temple. It's interesting, actually. It left gradually. His presence pulled up out of the temple in stages, Almost like, have you ever said to your small children, I'm leaving. I'm still here, but I'm actually leaving. Like, come on, follow. Get, get with the story. And then God was gone. And then Israel was taken captive by Babylon, and they were put in exile for so many years. 25 years in to this exile, Ezekiel gets a vision from God, and he's taken to a mountain, and he sees a city, and there's an angel there with a measuring rod and a measuring rope, okay? (laughs) This is a very long, detailed prophecy. I don't understand the details. Has anyone ever read this? It's like Ezekiel 40 to 48. It's a huge passage to get through, and you're like, okay, palm trees inscribed in pillars, I don't know what this means, God. You know, that this is all this stuff. And you guys, it's a massive temple and a massive city. It like literally couldn't be built on the Temple Mount, where the temple was, where God's presence was. It's now been destroyed. And actually, it, it comes to pass that they're, they come out of exile and they come back and they don't even try to build this. They don't even try. I mean, it's measured out. It's so seriously measured out. They don't even try it. But here's what this amazing prophecy was. Oh. (laughs) Oh, man, I feel like this is the bane of my existence. Guys, why can't? You can clap, because that was serious. 
So at the end of this prophecy, there is a sentence. From then on, the name of the city will be Yahweh Shema. God is there. And it's this amazing promise. It's like, um, <laughs> I really just skipped a big chunk that's worth going to. So I'm going to go to it. Are you with me? Okay. This is a name of God, and we're doing our name of God series to know him, right? Because God's been revealing um, himself through his names. It's what he did. I just had this epiphany in the last week. I was reading through some commentaries, and it just like hit me on the, on the side of the head. All of the names of God that he revealed, he was revealing to people who were um, enslaved to zombie living. Because God is eternal and unending and massive. So we only know a few of his names. There are a lot of names that we don't even know yet. These specific ones that he's giving us are to help us be set free. So he didn't just toss names around for fun, you know. Oh, my friends call me buddy. Whatever. Like, not, it's like these were important names so we could be set free. Okay? So I'm reading through this chunk, regretting that we chose this name for this series. Um, because you can't preach from Ezekiel 40 to 48, right, Robert? There's like, there's not much in there. We could, we could run through the measurements. I know the math people were like, I see the Lord in measurements. You guys are awesome. Um, but, you know, I was really like, okay, I don't, I, don't, I don't get this. Because I know God is there. I know it. I mean, think about all of the passages that talk about God being there. This is a beautiful one. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your presence, from your spirit. We know this, right? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell on the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me. Your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me, but the light around and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. We know that this is who God is. From the beginning of time, earth time, he's been with us. This is who he is through and through. Why would he measure out a city and then be go like, P.S., I am there, I am present. From this day on, this city will be named, I am with you, I'm there. It doesn't make any sense because we already know this about him. This is not a new revelation. <laughs> Adam's holding up a sign that somebody was going to pray. <laughs> but I think we did it with Emily. Tim, thanks for, you're on next week. This is the second week in a row I forgot to have the person pray. Apologize. Um, so I asked the Lord... Uh, what are you saying to us? The Lord is there. Yahweh Shema. What are you saying? That we didn't already know, God. <laughs> Tell me something new. And he said, be my people. And I said, I am your person. <laughs> I am. What do you mean, be my people? And he said, no, not you. 
together, you be my people. This is not God's presence residing in a person. This is not God's presence coming and giving individual salvation because we know he does that. And this psalm shows it perfectly, right? We know he is an intimate, personal God who comes right to us and leads us individually. But that's not who he is. God is a community. Elohim is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and it was never meant to be you on your own being his child. That's the beginning, that's a part of it, but it's not the fullness, right? So the prophecy of Ezekiel has many layers. Um, Clearly, it wasn't instructions for building the replacement temple, or they would have done it. True? Okay. And it's huge. It's not, it's, you can't even build it. They didn't have the technology back then to build that kind of a temple. But they knew it was a promise from God that they would be brought out of exile, and that happened. The second thing in is, in Revelation, we get this beautiful picture of God coming and dwelling in a new heaven and new earth. And he says, and I will be your God and you will be my people and I'll wipe the tears from your eyes. There will be no more pain and suffering. This is a prophecy for our future. We will experience his literal presence for eternity. And then there's one more layer that we're going to talk about today. And it's that this prophecy is about the New Testament church. We are that city We are the ones built together as a city that will contain his presence. So this morning, Adam said, during his prayer, God, just come and be with us. Did you you hear him say this? Fill this place with your presence. Anytime that gets prayed, do you ever wonder, why do we ask God that? We all contain his presence. He's already here. He's everywhere. He's never far away. He's always close. Do you ever wonder about that? And it's, it's what we're talking about today. We're going to watch a little video. I love that. If you guys could see the view of what I just saw, all of the AV, all of the guys at the back were like, it's go time. It was awesome. One of the earliest accounts about Jesus of Nazareth, his life, death, and resurrection, was written by a man named Luke. We know it as the Gospel of Luke, but Luke continued the story in a second volume. Called the Book of Acts, and it's all about what Jesus continued to do after his resurrection. Acts begins with the disciples who are hanging out with Jesus, who's just come back to life, which is mind-blowing to imagine. And then for weeks, the risen Jesus kept teaching them about his upside-down kingdom, the new creation that he launched through his death and resurrection. This is exciting stuff, and the disciples are ready to go tell the world. But then Jesus tells them to wait and to stay in Jerusalem until they receive a new kind of power so they can be faithful witnesses to Jesus and his kingdom. Then he says that their mission is going to begin in Jerusalem, then move out to Judea and Samaria, and then from there out into the nations. It's like a roadmap for the whole book of Acts. Then the disciples saw Jesus enthroned as king of all creation. So the disciples wait, wondering when this power is going to come. And then comes the time of Pentecost. 
So this is an ancient Israelite festival. It's during the early summer, and thousands and thousands of Jewish pilgrims would come back to Jerusalem from all over the world, all these different languages and cultures colliding in the city. And the disciples are together in a house, which is suddenly filled with rushing wind along with fire. Fire splinters off into tongues of fire hovering over people's heads. What's this all about? Yeah, so Luke is tapping into a repeated Old Testament theme. When God's presence showed up similarly at Mount Sinai, he made a covenant with Israel and gave them the Ten Commandments. Then later, when God's glory came in a pillar of fire, it filled the tabernacle when he came to live among them. But that was just one pillar of fire, not many. Exactly. Luke's making an important point here. This is God's personal temple presence, God's spirit that was foretold by Israel's prophets. And now it's come to take up residence in the new temple of Jesus's body, that is, his people. They've become little mobile temples where God now dwells. And they start to tell stories about Jesus, but they're speaking in languages that they didn't know before, yet all the visitors can understand them. What's this all about? Well, Peter gets up to explain that this is the fulfillment of Israel's hopes based on the scriptures. God's plan was always to use the unified family of Abraham to bring peace and justice to the world. But the tribes of Israel had been scattered because of the exile. Now here at Pentecost, representatives from all of the tribes come back together and they're introduced to their Messiah, the crucified and risen Jesus, so they can now become the restored people of Israel. And thousands of them start following the way of Jesus. Which brings us to Luke's tale of two temples. So you've got the temple that Herod built in Jerusalem, where Jesus' disciples worship like the rest of the Israelites. But now there's also Jesus' temple, which consists of people. This temple's meeting together in homes all over Jerusalem, and they were approaching life in a radical new way. Right, think about it. Many of these pilgrims aren't even from Jerusalem, so they formed these new families, and they're all depending on each other. Yeah, people would sell their stuff, provide for the poor among them. They ate their meals together. They said their daily prayers together. They were learning from the apostles what it meant to live as if Jesus is the true king of the world. And it must have been exhilarating. There's more to that video. So if you want to see the rest, you can go to Bible Project and see the rest. But for today, I wanted to stop right there. Is this like an amazing picture? Amazing. God's presence has come to dwell once again on earth with humans. And he's in us. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. So that's that scene we just saw where he gets up and explains what's going on. About 3,000 in all. So, you know, I think often I think about the Acts Church and I think, well, you know, 10 to 15 people in a home. No, 3,000 people. <laughs> I mean, is that like a mega church? I don't even know. Like, that's a pretty big church. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's basically what we're doing on Sundays, right? We believe that there is a place for um, teaching from a, a mantled person who's bringing revelation of the Lord for the people, okay? And to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. All of the believers devoted themselves to this. All of them. 
A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place. There's 3,000 people met together in one place. I want to know where in the city they met to do that. And shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, every day. Met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. 3,000 plus, plus and plus and plus. We do a really good job in the United States of understanding the, the personal salvation experience. Do you know why we're really good at that? Because we have an individualistic culture. So we understand, I am an individual, and I am loved and chosen and ministered to, and we understand that. Do you know what we don't get very well? The collective, the community, and honestly, it is... Um, it's a place of zombiness for us. I'm trying to teach my kids to be prepared for adulthood. And if you, if you ever hang out with Josh, now you will hear us like a broken record. This is not about today. This is about life. You're going to have to, it's not about the toy that you're trying to steal from your brother. It's that if you do this in a job, you'll get fired. So it's not about today. It's about life, right? You guys have heard us say it's like broken records with our kids because we know that they were born babies, but their destiny is to become adults and we're raising them to be strong and mature and able to make their own appointments on the telephone, which I still can't do. It's terrifying. Anyone else? Adulting can be hard, but you know, like we're raising our children to be mature and strong. And in our Western mindset, that means stand on your own two feet and don't need me. <laughs> you can get this done on your own. And we transfer that to our faith and we believe a tragic lie that if you are mature in God, you won't need people. And if you are really mature and you've been to church for 30 years, you actually can like retire out of the church. You don't even have to come anymore because you've learned all the things and you can like be done. Isn't that a lie we believe? The church doesn't feel like it's for me anymore, so I'm just going to stop going. I, I, zombie thinking. We think that if you are strong and mature, then your life is going to start to look real good and you won't need prayer as much. Don't we think that? that you won't wrestle as much with life, that we can stop having to dedicate resources to you. Isn't that a lie we, our zombie selves believe? We're really good at the individual thing and we're really bad at this like communal community thing and I think it even like makes us, um, we don't like the thought that we're just a part of a collective. That doesn't feel good to us. I'm an individual. I'm not a number. I'm important. I have a name, right? And we don't like. We're part of a collective. 
Anyone else feel that way? You're like, I don't like that collective feeling. And we think about cultures that are really community-oriented, really family-oriented, and there's a lot of shame, isn't there? And a lot of like, well, make your family proud and represent your people, and you're like, and there's so much pressure. So we understand that, that there's negatives on both sides, right? But God is a collective, and we are made in his image. And I am sure of this, and let's search the scriptures together if you feel like this is not true, but I don't think we can know God on our own. It's like this, God is an ocean, and I am a thimble, (laughs) and I can be full of his presence to overflowing, like I can be bursting with God, but I'm still a thimble. True? And it's not God's plan that I would contain all of him. That's not his plan at all, right? But my thimble and your thimble, then I know twice as much as I did of God before that. And all of us come together and our thimbles together give us this incredible view of who God is. But Yahweh Shammah does something even more profound because the sum of our individual parts is greater than our parts because he is saying, when you come and be my people, my presence comes and dwells. Way more than any of us could know on our own and even as a collective. He's he's saying that he's going to bless it If you're thinking, I feel disconnected from God, I feel like I pray and I'm not sure he hears me and I want to feel his presence and I don't know how to, I believe it's in the context of community that we have those cravings filled. Our individuality fights against us. The other thing that fights against us is who has time for this? They met every day in the temple? Are you kidding me? Did none of them have jobs? No, because they're, they're, you know, they're pilgrims. They came to the city. They didn't have jobs. And, and all the wealthy people gave their money, so no one had to work. And, and you know, we can look at that and go, oh, it's not for me. It's not realistic. We're not first century believers. We're a modern city dwellers. We don't even live anywhere near each other. You know, we could argue that we should abandon this church and all go to local churches. We could argue that that would be more important, Right? We could say, let's go to a church where it's really easy to get to, like a two-minute drive, and then I can have life with the people around me. And I'm like, yeah, that just seems really, really good. But you guys, I can't stop being a part of this family. It doesn't matter to me that it takes me so long to drive here. It doesn't matter at all. Something happening here that I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of a church that isn't just about consuming a service on a Sunday that really is about sharing life in the power of God, full of the Holy Spirit, all of our thimbles exploding with his presence. Don't you want to be a part of that? I know a lot of you have made that same decision where you're like, man, the commute is rough, but I believe in what God's doing here. Yeah. So now you Gentiles no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house. 
built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple, together becoming a holy temple. For the Lord, through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Do you see that this is not us being individual temples? This is us being a collective temple. Do you see that? Okay. <clears throat> I also tell you this. If two, or you, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. Now where two or three gather together as my followers in my name, I am there among them. Does that mean that when you're alone, your prayers don't work? No, because there are other passages that say, ask anything in my name and it will be done for you. Tell that mountain to move and it will move. We know that this, we see God's power in our individual lives. So why is he making a big deal about the two or three? Can he not make his mind up? That's right, there's more. We're not just one-layered beings, multi-layers, multi-layers. And God is saying here, there's something about this cumulative expression of God's presence in our lives. Do you see that? God is intertwined, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we are trying to be individual, strong on our own. And he's saying, get intertwined. P.S., I have this weird, uh, I don't know, sickness. <laughs> I like being around difficult people. So um, my friends know this about me. <laughs> my best friends are the ones that I say, we have like nothing in common. <laughs> Man, our friendship can be so hard. I just love you so much because you teach me about things that I would never have gotten to on my own. And we also have this like propensity in our hearts to like be around people like us, don't we? We love to be around people who agree with us. Doesn't it feel good where you have a conversation and people go, that's exactly what I feel. And you're like, my people, this is so good. And there was no like misunderstanding and there was no like angst. And, don't, and you, come, you go home and you're like, that was so refreshing. I'm just going to surround myself with people that I never disagree with. That just seems right. You, right? It'd be like the zombie life. We all like brains. Nobody's getting challenged. All right. Um, Huge chunks of the Old Testament are instructions to God's people about how to live as a community. You see your neighbor's oxen fall into a hole, don't ignore it. I mean, all kinds of things, right? Because they didn't know how. Huge chunks of the New Testament are letters to churches telling people how to get along and be a community. <laughs> you guys, we are of a faith people who are about community. You would have to like disregard most of the Bible to get away from this, wouldn't we? But we've been reading it, I think, with individuality eyes, where we're like, oh, this verse applies to me, I like it. And, and we haven't been aware. So when my pastor and that cult leader had that meeting, it turned something on in my brain, where I started to read the Bible through a collective mentality, knowing 
I won't be able to achieve the fullness of what God wants in my life on my own. Now, it helps that Australia is a little more collective than individual because we have some Asian-y things about us where we're more about community than the US. So that was, had that going for me. But it became like a thing for me. And as a young woman, I decided I'm not just a daughter of God, I'm a daughter of the church. And, and actually, it started before that, because when my parents got saved, it was fairly um, radical. So my dad will tell you that he knew about God, but he didn't know God. And my mom had grown up in a very traditional denomination, and she was reading in the Bible one day, and she saw the words Holy Spirit, and she was like, what is that? And her reverend said, not for us. And so she asked a friend, and her friend was like, oh man, you got to come to my church. We're charismatic, and we're all about the Holy Spirit. So my parents both kind of got saved into this new, amazing existence of being alive to God. And I was small. And we went to people's homes constantly. And we were at meetings, oh man, revival meetings, night after night after night after night, and I would just fall asleep under the chairs or at people's houses. My mom actually made me this little portable sleeping bag out of a baby blanket thing. And as long as it's called baggy, I still love baggy. Anyone else have a little blankie? It lives in Australia. I didn't bring it with me, but it's still at my parents' house. That's for another time. We can, <laughs> we can counsel that through another time. But anyway, baggy went with us wherever we went, and my folks would just put me in baggy, and I would sleep wherever we were. Here I am, fast forward. I don't know if I can go to small group because my kids need to have their bedtime. Like it's become almost like an idol in my life that I would be a good parent and my children would have a set bedtime. And I think back and I'm like, no, I fell asleep mostly not in my bed, I think, <laughs> growing up. And I was around God's people and I was around his spirit. And, and I don't know, maybe I was tired at school. I, I don't remember. What I know is I met God there. I saw people hurt each other, give mercy and grace, find forgiveness and walk into health. I also saw, saw church people being horrible because humans are the worst, aren't they? And I watched this as a child and I watched it all unfold and I watched people get hurt and people get healed and people get saved and transformed and I saw parts of God that I would never have seen on my own. I wish we could give this to our kids, you guys. And I wish we could give it to you, that you would encounter the Spirit of God like this in ways that your puny, thimble brain will never get. I need you, you need me. And the more different we are, the better. You know what I'm saying? Because you're going to show me things that my brain and its set ways would never comprehend. Truth? Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church. This word is ecclesia. It's the gathering of the people. It's the ones that are committed to each other in fellowship. It's us. The body of Christ. This will continue until we all collective come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we collectively will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Not individually, collectively. Do you see that wording in there? It doesn't say 
and, and you will be mature in the Lord, and you will come to such unity. No, it's we collectively. If you're not growing in Jesus, you're handicapping me, man. <laughs> this is a collective movement. We become mature together. This is essential for us. Do you feel the weight of that? Do you feel your individual glasses coming off and seeing something bigger than yourself? This is good, right? Then we will, we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. That's what you have been invited to. God didn't call you out from your zombie ways to be alone. It's not who he is. He called you out and brought you out of Egypt and brought you into we are his people. If you ask me to choose between my personal devotional time with the Lord and my time here with you on Sundays and time with my small group and time with my people, I could not choose. I am an introvert who has a theater mum, so I grew up on the stage. That's why I can pull this off. But I go home and sleep afterwards. Um, and my husband is an introvert. I don't know how we got an extrovert child, but we at least have one. <laughs> just loves people. But I just need a lot of downtime. So I have my stand on your own two feet maturity thing that I have to battle. And then I have my I'm very busy thing. And then I have my you exhaust me thing. <laughs> okay? I believe that the Holy Spirit can empower me to be around you without getting exhausted. Not just for fun and kicks. I'm not, I, don't, let's not, I can't. <laughs> I can't. But like for actually the presence of the Holy Spirit, I can do people for that. And so on Sundays when I think, man, it would be nice to have some quiet time alone, I say, I can be filled with the Holy Spirit when I go to church and be around his people. And it's a cost. It comes at a cost. But Josh and I have had to look at our calendar and structure our lives in a way that embraces the vision of God. And I want to say that it's important that we do this exercise. True? Um, <laughs> also, do you know that weird people are usually... well? Present company, I'm weird so I can just speak for all weird people. But do you know that weird people are weird because we treat them weird? Did you know that? Oh man, that person says that weird stuff. I <laughs> smile and nod, <laughs> walk away. And we don't, um, we don't speak truth and, and joy and life to people. And Kurt gave me some great advice years ago when we were dealing with kind of a weird person in our youth ministry. And he was like, I think you just need to speak like not weird. Like start saying... 
oh, when you did that, what you probably, because I know that you're not weird, but you probably didn't realize what that did to the people around you. Oh, no one's ever told me that before. They'd just been affirmed as being weird. And I think this, this final, so the final, <laughs> I didn't segue into this very well. This final piece for me is another reason why I would want to stay away from God's people. Because there's all kinds of weird. <laughs> Greg? But we get weird when we're isolated and we're not around people speaking bara words of life to us. This is not a program that I can arrange for you to attend. We started communities a couple years ago, regional communities, because we identify we're, we're a commuter church and a local church, but there's a, a lot of us are driving in, right? So we knew if we didn't establish regional communities, that we wouldn't be strong and alive because we can't all drive into stuff here at the campus midweek, right? And I had this, you guys, I'm, when I get a vision in my heart, I'm like, it's gonna be amazing. God's gonna do amazing things. And then people were like, it was so awkward at our regional community barbecue and I don't wanna go back. And I was like, what, what happened? <laughs> no, I expected God to like, oh, I don't know what I expected. <laughs> but you know, you guys, seeds have been planted and life is growing. And I'm a proud member of the South community, and something profound happened. Um, David and Shelby, I did, not I did not ask you if I could share this story, but you're gonna give me a thumbs up, there it is. So David and Shelby were really praying about where, do, where should we go to church? We live so far south, it's really hard to come to church. And they have small kids, and they wanted their kids to be around other believers that were in their school that they also went to church with. Right? We get that. that would just, I mean, that's beautiful, right? But they prayed about it, and in the end, what they felt like was, we're supposed to make this the church we want to be at. We're supposed to invest our all. And you guys are all in. I can't even, and you're fairly introverted, right? And you're like planning all kinds of get-togethers at your house. <laughs> you're like, my wife is. Yeah, yeah. But you guys, we are having so much fun, and I'd say we're pretty different, David. I mean... Like, super different. Man, I like being around you. I'm just loving what God's doing in our community. And um, we all have small children, and so it all comes at a great cost to us to get together. Also, we should just wear earbuds. It's probably what we should do. Ear, not earplugs. You know, to... Anyway. But we're just committed to it. And I'm seeing God, like, move in us. It's so exciting. If you live down south, come and join our south community. There's a north community that is, is on a hiatus right now because the hosts moved. <laughs> it's coming back. If you're in the north, get involved. You know what, you guys? We don't, no one has time for this. You're going to have to look at your calendar and cancel some things. You know? Netflix binge at other times and make some space for people. I, A new game gets released and you're like, I don't have time to go to church, but man, I played it 42 hours straight. That was the best game. <laughs> Truth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we just have to be intentional about it. We're not the first century church. We don't all live within walking distance, so we are going to have to work it out because guess what? God doesn't change. Culture does. You know, most people now just go to church twice a month. That's like an average um, nationally in, in the U.S. I don't think you can be a Christian and not go to church. 
Did I say it out loud? Because based on what we just said, isn't this true? Now, guys, two hours on a Sunday, that's kind of a joke. It doesn't really do much, does it? Right? But it's a start, and we're going to have to add more on top of this. True? Because God doesn't want you to be alone, and he doesn't want you to not know the fullness of who he is. He doesn't want you in your thimble feeling like you don't really understand the mysteries of life. You don't really know how to live and how to grow and find peace and life and joy, right? And he put you in a family. But you guys, I can't make this happen. Kurt can't make it happen. Julie Brunk, as gifted as she is, cannot make it happen. We have to make it happen. We are the church. We have to make this happen. True? Okay. Um, So here's my question for you. What are we going to do to make it happen? What are you going to do to make it happen? Ideas? Josh and I started going through our calendar and highlighting chunks of time that we would be willing to pray up ourselves to be around people and we're scheduling dinners with people. We're exhausted. (laughs) And it's so worth it. So worth it. What's something else you could do? I'm looking at you. Becca. Whoa, that was cool. Did you hear what she said? That there are parents that could be stuck at home with their schedules because they have littles, but there's nothing stopping her from going to them. That is good. Yeah. Did you hear that, guys? I'm going to repeat it for the camera, for anyone that's joining online. He was saying that we need to somehow, did you say mesh, meld? Marrieds and singles together in community because single people can feel alone. And that sometimes married people don't want single people around. That's, are you feeling that? Um, When I first moved to the US, I was at um, Eastside Foursquare where I did an internship. That's how I ended up in the country. And, um, well, there's a longer story, but that'll do for today. Um, And and a couple came up to me after church and, and said, look, we are from Australia originally, and they live in the US now, and they're like, we'd like to have you over for dinner. You and, and they'd invited other people too. And they cooked this amazing lamb dinner the right way, the Australian way, and, um, and it was delicious, and I realized that I had not been in a home and had a home-cooked meal in a long time, and it was beautiful. Invite people into your home, will you? Find some time. It's okay if you're weird. We'll work it out. Just clean your bathroom a little. That's it, guys. That's what we're talking about today. 
This is the prayer that Jesus had just before he died, and it's his prayer for us. I am praying not only for these disciples, his guys, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us. Jesus prayed for us collectively. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Unity does not mean um, homogenous, right? We don't get this by being the same. We get it by sharing life and falling in love with each other. This is important for us to know God, and it is also the vehicle by which the world will know God's love. If we're thinking that we want people to get saved, and by the way, I believe that God gave us this building, and every chair in this room should be filled with people coming to know God's love. But it's up to you to love with God's love, and it's up to us to be such an amazing place of family that people say, I didn't know this is what Christian was. How can I be a part of your club? I want to join that, whatever you're doing. True? So, your continued homework, <laughs> because we don't just be Christian on Sunday morning for two hours, right? is pray and ask who you're supposed to speak bara life-giving words into their lives. Keep doing what God is stirring in your heart. Yeah? And the second thing is work out how to be his people together. I'll be asking about it next week. Is that okay, guys? You know, I grew up in a church where we would like hold hands and pray at the end of service. I'm just having like this flashback, like we should do that. I have um, hand sanitizer in my bag after if anyone's like. Because <laughs> it is cold and flu season. Let's be honest. We don't want to be one like that. Oh, man. But can we pray together? And um, fill up the gaps. If you're on the end, scoot, scoot down and have a little fellowship with someone else. Do you, if you want to stand, stand. If you want to sit, sit. Grab a hand. No hands empty. No one stands alone. Oh, you're beautiful. Oh, I wish I could. You're so beautiful when you hold hands. Oh, oh Adam, you photobombed the unity. What? I, I was going to check it for you. I got it. 
I, I have short arms. Like, your extra length would fit everyone. Should I? All right. Should we do pan? We should do a pan, huh? Oh, it won't let me. I have to do it this way. All right, here we go. We are the church, yeah? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you that you are uh, wanting us to be like you, that you don't just leave us on our own, that you brought your presence by bringing other people. It's beautiful, God, and I don't think our brains get it. Help us understand the richness of what this is. Help us work this out. (laughs) I just ask that you would help extroverts be like, but filled with the Holy Spirit that they can be more peaceful. And I pray that you would fill introverts with your Holy Spirit that they can be more connected. Help us, God, because we don't know how to do this, but we see it in your word and we see a life that we so desperately want to have. Fill this place with your presence, God. Yahweh Shema. We are your people. We are your temple. We are your house. And we have an anticipation that your presence will dwell here. And we will know you in ways that transform us. And the zombie life will be gone. And we'll be alive to you fully. Made clean, made new, set free. I pray for the person on my right, give them a squeeze. Pray for the person on my left, give them a squeeze. God, build in their lives the truth of your word. Build them to be strong in dependency. Build us, God. forward and grab communion. And he said, this is my body broken for you. There is healing and life and hope in his body. And we take his body and we say, Jesus, I want you and I want your plan. Make me.